how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Mark Steven Johnson grew up as a huge fan of Saturday Night Live. Mesmerized by comedy, he thought he could make it as a writer from an early age. Eventually, he found his voice from reading scripts and watching new movies. Soon he wrote the script for Grumpy Old Men, which brought a fresh voice to Hollywood, as most people were unaware ice fishing even existed at the time. As the writer-director made a transition from character pieces to Marvel movies, he noticed the theme of his work always focused on the underdog. As a writer, he's, he's got credits for... Grumpy Old Men, Simon Birch, Daredevil, Ghost Rider, and Christopher Robin. In his newest film, he's back in the director's chair for Finding Steve McQueen. The ironic true story heist film takes place in 1972. According to IMDb, a gang of close-knit thieves from Youngstown, Ohio, attempt to steal $30 million in illegal contributions and blackmail money from President Richard Nixon's secret fund. In this interview, Johnson discusses the missing middle movie in today's film world, the key to original characters, the importance of backstory, the importance of character limitations, and why writing what you feel may be more important than writing what you know. It was um, Saturday Night Live, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, my, my parents raised me on that show, um, and I remember as a little kid watching those sketches, and you know, just being mesmerized by it, and thinking, I want to do that. I want to I want to I want to write comedy. I want to write for these guys. I want to. And I remember I'd go to school the next day, and other kids would be talking about how funny something Belushi did. And I thought, how do they think of that? And I thought, I, I think I could think of that. I think I could have made that funnier. I would have changed this, or I would have done that. And um, I uh, I went with my mom to go see Jaws when I was twelve, and saw this line like around the block and uh, at the Hastings, Minnesota movie theater. And I remember like being in that theater and seeing everybody laughing and screaming and cheering. And I, and I turned to my mom and I said, that's what I want to do. And, um, so we came out to California once on a vacation when I was like 13 and did the universal studios tour, you know, <laughs> and looked around and thought, Oh man, I want to do this, but it seemed so far away. And this is all pre-internet. So I wanted to learn you know, how to be a screenwriter. So I would save up my money. I always use my allowance for two things, comic books and screenplays. And I would um, go to this, there was a company called Script City that would sell screenplays for like 20 bucks a pop. And so I would just, you know, send them, my, uh, send them a check and then, a, 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 you know, these uh, scripts would show up in the mail. In fact, I, I remember it, it was very funny because when they would show up, I would get so excited when they'd show up. It was like Christmas. And the return address was Studio City, California. And I thought that was the coolest sound of place in the world. <laughs> and when I packed up like my Buick LeSabre and drove across the country to California, 
first place I wanted to go was Studio City. And I remember being on Ventura Boulevard by the this car wash, the big hand holding the car. And um and I asked somebody, I was checking the Thomas Brothers Guide, which is also outdated. And I stopped. So I'm like, I'm sorry, can you tell me where Studio City is? And he goes, dude, this is it. <laughs> and I was just like, oh. <laughs> but uh, so that was it. I was just devouring scripts and practicing all throughout high school. And then finally came out here and went to work, you know. So your original work, you know, as a writer and or director, you did films like Grumpy Old Men, um, Simon Birch. And you kind of transitioned into some of the Marvel movies. Um, how do you kind of see the industry as a whole as you've kind of went from those really, you know, tight character pieces to more of like ad- adaptations and sequels? How do you kind of see the transition shaping up? Well, for me, they're all they're they're, they're oddly related. You know, they're all if you look at those, they're all underdog stories. You know. That's what I love. That's that's what. So Grumpy Old Men was about old people that everyone kind of forgot about, um, and about them having a second chance at life and not falling in love. And and that's a that's a kind of the theme always for me. And because I, I went from that to Simon Birch, which of course was a huge underdog story, about a little handicapped boy who thinks he's like the instrument of God. And um, and then Daredevil, my first superhero, was blind. Um, and so that's always been a big theme for me. And and it goes into Finding Steve McQueen as well. It's about, you know, this small group of bank burglars from Youngstown, Ohio, who set out to rob the president of the United States. And it made me laugh. It's so absurd. And it's also true. Um, but the idea that they thought that they could do it and get away with it, um, they, I don't know, that that to me is, so even though they're all radically different, they, they tend to have that theme in common, you know? And that's what, uh, that's what, that, that's what excites me. Because, um, and the business is, yeah, man, the business has changed so much, hasn't it? So I think about breaking in Grumpy Old Men was the first thing I wrote. And um, so many, you know, I remember when people read it, they were just like, this is, first of all, they couldn't believe it because it was so strange. Ice fishing, no one had ever heard of in, you know, Hollywood. Um, and they're like, this is really funny, but it's not true, right? People don't really like cut holes in the ice and sit there all day. I'm like, yeah, that's how I grew up, you know? <laughs> so they were like, so it was, it was. It was good for me because it was unique. No one was doing anything like it. But when that movie eventually got made and was successful and had a sequel and that was successful, it was just a different time. It was like, it's funny how the business has gone backwards. I'm sorry I'm rambling off topic a little bit, but I'm just thinking, I mean, Grumpy Old Men back in 93 cost $30 million, and it made 70 And that was a hit. It made a sequel. The sequel cost 30 and it made 70 and That's the way business was back then. But now... Because of the way the business has changed, largely because of the Marvel movies and these huge temples, everybody wants a billion dollars. You know, it used to be you know a hundred million was a big hit. Now a billion is a big hit, and that middle movie um, has disappeared. And so, really, for the most part, you've got giant blockbusters, and you've got the small, smaller films, really small, like this movie. So this movie costs five and a half million dollars. Finding C. McLean. So, you know, think about Grumpy in today's money would cost, what, 60, 50, 60 million. Isn't that crazy that, that you know, the way the studios would spend back then to make something and have like a double or a triple. It didn't have to be a grand slam, you know, but that's kind of changed now. All the studios are run by big corporations and that middle movie that was kind of my bread and butter, all the ruthless peoples and all those great, you know, comedies uh, are gone for the most part, you know. Once in a while, you'll get one that's got to be, you know, The Rock in it or Kevin Hart or Melissa McCarthy. But 
you know that that middle kind of comedy is, is kind of kind of disappeared. It's, it's strange. It's kind of sad. I hope it comes back. Actually, how do you think? Um, how do you think about writing characters or thinking of your characters? Like this guy, is Harry Barber, who wants to be Steve McQueen. He's got struggles. He's got adrenaline issues, money issues, love issues. How do you kind of define his character wanting to be someone else in a sense? You know, it's, it's, it's always, um, I do the same thing. I always sit down and I write up like a bio, you know, I, I treat my characters like real people. So, you know, most, if not all of it will never be on screen, but I know, you know, and so I'll figure out like, when I'm writing my characters, it was their entire backstory, where they're from and who's their first love and what was their home life like and what was their financial situation and how were they in school and were they loners, were they popular, were they this, were they that, you know, and you come up I'll, and I'll do this just for myself. I don't share it with the actor or anything, but um, I like having that, you know, usually I'll write up a, a three to five page bio for my characters. And so all the infinite choices you make as a writer are kind of now narrowed down, you know? Otherwise, you just sit there staring at the screen forever, going, "I don't. Anything could happen," <laughs> you know. And it gets you—you you find yourself like paralysis sets in because the choices are infinite, you know. Um, but once you start narrowing things down, going, "No, my character would never do that because of this. I've already decided my character would do this," or you know, um, I, I find that really helpful just as a practical tool, um, and also just you know anything that reflects something about myself, you know, something, again, the underdog, I always feel like an underdog, no matter what. Um, and, um, you know, uh, the, what, what can I tap into? They always say, write what you know, but it doesn't have to be literally what you know. It can just be write what you feel, you know, right. What they, but, you know, that character feels like me. I know what that feels like. doesn't mean that I have to have been to prison to write a prison scene, but I know what that loneliness feels like. I know what regret feels like, I, you know, so just tapping into those simple, you know, really basic, strong emotions, um, and then I'm off and running. Um, when I was younger, I used to be, be kind of naive about trying to write a completely original character. Uh, with, with this character, he wants to be someone else who's famous. Does that kind of make him original? How do you see creating an original character in today's world where there are so many movies made and reboots and everything else? I know it's tough. Everybody wants a brand of some kind, or they they want IP. They want, you know, they want something recognizable. Um, uh, I, I think, in a way, you know, we're, we're making fun of that in a bit. Not I should say making fun of, but uh, we're definitely, you know, we're, we're poking at that a bit. Um, you know, the, with Harry Barber's fascination and fixation on Steve McQueen, I mean, everybody wants to be something something that they're not, and. Um, and that's a big theme, again, in this film, where people are trying to be something they're not or trying to be better than they are. Um, identity, you know, which, which comes back to the superhero stuff as well. Um, you know, we, we, the, the, that's the fantasy. And, and that's, uh, you know, it's sometimes a bit confusing because people will say um, they think this is a documentary about Stephen Queen because <laughs> of the title. <laughs> so there's been a little confusion about that. But, um, but uh, you know, the original title was Youngstown Boys. Um, which is much more of a straight heist movie. But, um, you know, I've seen so many heist films and so many great ones that we just, you can't, you know, you can't improve on that. And certainly not in a small budget like this, but you can be different. You know, you can be quirkier. You can be more unique and, and try some things. And they're not all going to work, but it's, you know, when you do a movie like this, a small movie, it's it's worth taking some shots, trying some stuff. 
Well, thank you for your time. Do you have any just like quick advice for anyone trying to maybe break into the industry these days? You know, it's that cliche that you hear all the time, right? What you know, um, but it's true. And, and and I think sometimes people take that too literally, and they're like, "Well, I can't." I, I, you know, what 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 got me into the industry? What broke me in was grumpy old men. And when you know, I'm not 75 years old. I'm not, you know, I, 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 but my grandfather was, and I paid attention and I observed. And writers are great observers. Um, and so you just, uh, you know, the, it's that. It's like I know I don't know much. I hadn't, I've never been to war. I hadn't done all kinds of important life lessons at the time. I hadn't had kids. Um, all the important stuff I hadn't done yet, but I know what it, I know what it's like to be in Minnesota. I know what it's like to go ice fishing. I know that kind of sense of humor from Minnesota. And so that's what made me unique where people read it and say, okay, this is a unique voice. I haven't seen this before. Um, and I, that's what I would encourage. I would encourage people to go, okay, what makes me different? So when people start reading, they go, wait a minute, this is, this guy's got a point of view. This is something I haven't seen before. You know, big ideas are great, but there's, you know, it's it's really it's a character's voice. It's a way it's a way that you're going to put yourself into that character. That people are going to go, okay, this guy's different. This is something. This is something I haven't seen. So, and and ten pages. I I know it's a cliche, but it's true. Those first ten pages. Don't don't wait for the good stuff to kick in on page thirty. You know, because they'll never get that far. They've got stacks of scripts, and if you're trying to break in, you're you're lucky to even get the shot at all. So make sure you grab them immediately. I always think that's good advice, still. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter, where you also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.